Hey there, I'm Rianne Mullins, and I'm the host of the Balanced Fit and Free podcast. 15 years ago, I lost 65 pounds by revamping my lifestyle in a very realistic and totally manageable way. Now I teach other women how to ditch the yo-yo dieting cycle and start living a balanced, fit, and happy life through real food, effective exercise, and a powerful mindset. Each week, I'll be popping into your ears to teach you how you too can live a balanced and fit life free from unrealistic diets and crazy expectations. Let's go. Hello, hello, my people. I am so happy that you're back this week. Last week, I talked about inner child healing, and it was kind of a heavy one. So today, I wanted to take a break from the heavy and go with something that we all need to be thinking about when we go to the doctor or really in any situation. I'm talking about being your own healthcare advocate. We have all had experiences where you go to the doctor for an ailment and leave feeling like you're either stupid, making up your symptoms, or just as confused as when you went in. Now, before I make it sound like I'm an anti-doctor, I'm, I'm really not. I want, though, to talk about one of my experiences related to visiting a doctor that turned out pretty ugly, and if I had known then what I know now, maybe it would have been better. So the reason I'm even talking about this is because I had a client uh, recently who went to the doctor for some issues, and you know, I won't say exactly what it was, but the doctor was with her for about five minutes asked a series of questions, listened to her heart rate, had her take big breaths in and out four times, looked down her throat and said, yeah, you mean you look fine. Let's run some blood labs just to check your levels. Okay, all good. Except that when the labs came back, she was sent a message in her online chart, like we all have now, that said, all labs are in the appropriate ranges. Schedule your ex exam for next year and we'll see you next year. Okay, great. But why then was she having these other symptoms? So now what is she supposed to do? Apparently what she's feeling and experiencing is not important or a big deal if the doctor is not taking it seriously, right? Maybe. But what if it is serious? What if her labs just don't show something significant or something that is super obvious? Wouldn't more exploration be a good idea? I would think so. So if you experience this, right, you have symptoms or some negative thing happening, some feelings, some pain, whatever it is, and you finally schedule a doctor's appointment after trying Advil and anything you can find on Dr. Google, then you go and get dismissed like you're wasting the doctor's time. It's very frustrating. And this could actually be due to so many things. I mean, they don't have a lot of time. It could be insurance. It could be so many factors, but nonetheless, it's very frustrating and doesn't always help us out. So I've had this happen multiple times and have learned through this experience, just like you probably have too, that we have to be our own advocate. Just because a doctor is a doctor doesn't mean they know everything and understand how you're feeling or what you are experiencing. And just because your labs are in the range does not mean that you are not sick or that you don't have a problem. My most impactful experience was in 2003 when I had my first pregnancy with McKinsey. 
I want to tell you the story because it was a very serious situation and also because I use this event in my life to remind myself that I am actually pretty darn strong and can handle tough situations. It's one of those situations that if I'm having a hard day or a hard time, I can look back and see this and be like, well, I made it through that. I can certainly make it through this. So let me tell you a little bit about it. The due date for Mackenzie was sometime the end of April, and it's so sad that I can't remember the exact date anymore. Anyway, towards the end of February, I started to get these really like sharp, bad pains in my side, and they would go into my back, and then I could hardly move. They would come and go, but I immediately, because when you're pregnant, especially their first one, you call the doctor about everything because you have no idea and you're terrified. <laughs> but anyway, I called the doctor and I went into the office and was checked over. And this was all after my very first like episode. And it was like this really bad pain. And I was told that it would probably was just a Braxton Hick um, and to monitor it, monitor it and to, you know, slow down a little bit. Well, it started to happen about one to two, one to maybe two, maybe three times a week. And I was even having to leave work early. I worked at a bank at the time. And fortunately, I had an amazing boss who understood and let me go. I was also at the time the treasurer for a women's business group. We were in the middle of planning a giant conference. And it was like a really big project, a really big deal. We had all these speakers lined up. And it was just, it was a really big project. And I was really excited to be a part of it. So I was busy is what I'm trying to tell you. And here's the thing. I was busy because I wasn't supposed to be having a baby till like the end of April. And here it is February. So we fast forward here to early March. I was starting to have these, what I call my episodes more frequently, and they were getting really strong. I also had at this point gained over 70 pounds and about 25 of that was within just a few weeks. Like, I mean, literally like maybe less than three weeks. My face looked like I was going to pop and my ankles were totally non-existent. I, I truly did feel like that big marshmallow state puff guy, boo, 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 like I was waddling around and felt enormous, but I wasn't really feeling big in my belly. Like you would expect my enormity was everywhere else. It was my arms, my legs, my neck, my back. I was miserable, but Hey, pregnancy is miserable and women do this all the time said my doctor when I went back for the fifth time complaining of my pain and discomfort. And I remember leaving the doctor feeling like such a freaking loser and such a wuss. She's right. Like women do this all the time. Hell, women used to give birth in fields. I mean, I can do this. I just need to toughen up, you know, like get over it, Rand. suck it up. So I think it was that same time, that same doctor um, when she said, it's possible you're having a gallbladder attack. So that's pretty common during pregnancy. So I do have some memory of going and getting an ultrasound or some test on my gall gallbladder to see if it's okay. And it was totally fine. They also checked my appendix and it was fine. So, yep, I was just being a big, fat, swollen baby and needed to just get my shit together. And this is what I'm thinking of myself. So, you know, I go back to work. I bought bigger shoes to stuff my giant feet in. I had Brian basically roll my ass out of the house every morning to work where I cried in the bathroom 
every day I would go in the bathroom and cry because I was hating my life. I hated how I felt. I hated how I looked. And I was starting to resent this little alien who was trying to kill me. (laughs) Poor little Mackenzie had no idea. (laughs) And I didn't like her very much at that point, which is really awful to say. But I mean, I felt terrible. I couldn't believe people like did this all the time on purpose, getting pregnant more than one time. So on probably my seventh or eighth call to the doctor after having a terrible episode at work one day, they suggested that I was probably eating the wrong things. I was probably eating too much sugar and fat. I was just eating the wrong stuff. And they just couldn't imagine it being anything else because everything seemed to be in the range of where it should be. Okay, here's that whole, that old, you know, theme again. Oh, well, your labs are in the range. Oh, you're, this is in the range. My blood pressure was in the range. My blood glucose was in the range. I didn't have a blood pressure problem or gestational diabetes. So suck it up, buttercup. My friends, my sweet friends had a baby shower for me and it was so fun and amazing. I made it through the whole day with no problems. And I was so happy because it was getting harder and harder every day to not have some pain. But that night, I literally thought I was going to die. I ended up getting in a super hot bath to stop the major pains that I was having, or at least to slow them down. And at this point, I didn't know what it was. Like, I was like, am I in labor? Like, I didn't know what it was. And truly that night, I remember feeling like I would choose death over continuing to to feel like that. It was the worst I have ever felt in my entire life to this day. So. Brian took me to the ER. We decided screw calling my doctor because they were never helpful. They just made me feel stupid and like I didn't know what I was doing. So we didn't even call them. We just went straight to the ER. Well, when we got there, they ended up taking my blood pressure and ran a glucose test. And like the times before, told me to go home. I remember like crying and begging them. I remember the nurse was standing there and I grabbed her arm and I was like, please do something. Give me something. Like I'm not some crack addict looking for like, you know, a fix. I mean, I was in serious, serious pain. And she said, no, I really can't. You just need to go home, get over it, use, you know, heating pad, take a day off from work next week. You're just in a really tough time of pregnancy. It's going to get better, honey you know, like so degrading, like, you know, patting me on the back. Then the doctor said, um, as I had to talk to the doctor before I left and I had told them earlier that I had had my baby shower that day, just in general conversation. And the the doctor says, well, did you eat a lot of, um, sugar or, or junk food today at your shower? And I was like, oh my gosh, I did. I, I did. I mean, I had whatever little snacky things I had and I'd eaten cake. And at this point I was like, oh my gosh, it's my own fault. Like I didn't follow the orders and I did have sugar and I had fat. I felt so stupid and ashamed and just totally felt like it was my fault. Like I, I didn't know, like I thought I'd been doing really great. So anyway, so remember earlier I said that I was the treasurer of a women's group. Well, that big conference that we had been planning for like six to eight months was happening in March. And I, you know, again, I keep being told by the doctors I'm fine. So I'm like just trying to move on with my life. So I was really excited to be a part of this um, program. And so I happily drove my my fat ass over to Winston-Salem to do my part. 
about two hours into the conference, I started to get this little familiar feeling again in my side. And then I was starting to feel in my back and around into my stomach and my chest. And I was really scared because I was not home. I wasn't even close, that close to home. And I didn't want to look like a big wimp or a drama queen. I even questioned myself. I even thought, am I making this up in my head? Because the doctors keep saying nothing's wrong with me. And this, maybe this is just what I have to do. Like this, I just don't understand why I keep feeling like this. And so I really did start to think it was in my head. So I went into this fancy bathroom at the place we were having the conference and I had some couches and whatever. So I went in to sit down and one of the ladies from the board came in and saw me and said, oh, you need to go. You either need to go home or you need to go to the hospital because you look terrible. And I was like, oh, thanks. (laughs) Thanks for that. But I didn't want to go to the hospital because I was alone, you know, and none of those ladies were going to leave. And I wasn't going to ask anyone. I mean, I didn't really know them that well personally, you know. So I drove home crying my eyes out. It was about 40 minutes and I got home and I immediately, because the only thing that really helped this pain was like a really hot bath. So I immediately got into a hot bath. And by the time Brian got home, um, cause he was at work and it wasn't like he could drop everything. Well, I mean, <laughs> I think he should have, but whatever. That's a side note. Anyway, by the time Brian got home, I was almost like totally incoherent. Like I, I don't really remember, um, how or getting there, but we went to the hospital. He took me to the hospital. And the next thing I know, I was like in the ER in a gown and getting this giant shot in my butt. Thank goodness. Because that shot in my butt, it was the first, I think, real pain relief I'd had in weeks and weeks since this whole thing had started. Well, thank God that day, a different doctor was on call and met me at the ER. This doctor literally saved my life. I was in major distress and it wasn't my fault. Ha ha. It wasn't anything I had done wrong. (laughs) So anyway, I had a major blood pressure problem. It was um, technically in the range you know, like my blood pressure was technically in the range, but for me and my history and what I normally had, it was extremely high. And I had been dealing with it now for so long that I had gone into something called HELP syndrome. This stands for, I think it's called hemolysis. I might say that wrong, but hemolysis, which is like a red blood cell thing. Um, elevated liver enzymes. That was where my pain was coming from, my liver. And low blood platelets. And all of this is related to high blood pressure and preeclampsia. So at this point, my blood pressure was sky high and they were concerned that I was going to start having seizures. So, you know, and by the way, it took them a couple days actually to figure out what was wrong with me. But anyway, I, um, I was there for the haul. So HELP syndrome is actually just FYI, a very rare, um, problem. And there's only about 20,000 cases a year. This particular doctor said it was their very first case seeing it in real life. And, you know, I'll never forget the the doctor saying, Ran, you are not going home without a baby. And Brian and I, I remember it so well, the little triage room we were in in the ER. Brian and I looked at each other and we were like, what the F? <laughs> like we weren't ready. It was supposed to be like six or seven more weeks before we this this baby arrived. We hadn't done all the things you were supposed to do that they tell you in the baby classes. But anyway, I was in the hospital for a couple of weeks total. Um, They determined the only way to save me was for 
me to deliver the baby. The baby, Mackenzie, was completely fine. Um, I was not fine. So they were trying to keep me stable as long as they could to let the baby grow just a little bit more so that she didn't have lung problems. As soon as I turned 35 weeks, they induced me. One of the doctors actually pulled Brian aside and told him that um, it wasn't really looking good for me and to be prepared for me like to not make it. So, I mean, how scary is that? Whew, terrible. Or really, that's terrible for Brian. It was probably terrifying. Meanwhile, I was all doped up, so I didn't really know what was going on. So after I finally delivered Mackenzie, which was an excruciating 23 hours of labor and no epidural, I was put in the intensive care unit and couldn't see anyone for a couple days. So some of this is still very blurry to me because, well, it was 19 years ago. And also I was totally whacked out of my mind the entire time, both from being really sick and then also from they gave me morphine to try to ease the pain, which it didn't. It just made me feel like high and not better. So any, oh, but by the way, here's a quick little side note here. So during labor, I was in horrible pain, not just the contractions. I mean, that's bad enough, but also the pain that I had been getting before. It was like a double whammy of pain. They wouldn't give me an epidural because my blood platelets were too low. So they were concerned that I could bleed to death if something happened while getting the epidural. I'm like, let's take the chance, people. (laughs) Anyway, they wouldn't. So I also was not a candidate for a cesarean section, a C-section, because again, I may not have been able to clot blood enough, which could have led to more problems. Therefore, uh, I was practicing my breathing techniques and doing my very best walking, um, doing anything I could to get through those contractions and the other pain. So after about 14 or 15 hours, I remember just begging my doctor for something like, please just give me, do something like this is terrible. And she said, you know what? I have an idea. Let's just, for the heck of it, let's try laughing gas, you know, like the stuff you can get at the dentist. So we decided to try it. I was, I was game for anything at this point. I really just wanted somebody to knock, like punch me in the face and knock me out. I asked Brian that a couple of times. He's like, I'm, I'm not going to punch you in the face. <laughs> and I'm like, come on, just hit me really hard. Just knock me out. But anyway, so they rolled me over into the OR. Okay. They had to take me to the OR for this and they put a mask of, you know, what is it? What's it called? Nitric oxide or whatever. Is that what it's called? Anyway, they put it on and within a few minutes, I was super high (laughs) and it started to kind of take the edge off a little, right? I'm like feeling all goofy and and kind of giggling about some stuff. I mean, it really does, you know, it has a, you know, it's called laughing gas for a good reason. But then suddenly they had turned it up a little too much and the room, I felt like the entire room was bouncing And every single noise felt like a gunshot in my ears. I remember that super well too. So I freaked out and they turned it off and I just had to buckle down and get through it. And I did. I made it. I'm still here to tell you about it. So even though you guys, this is an extreme case and I kind of drug out that story a little bit, but it's something to think about when your doctor is not taking your symptoms seriously. This is when you need to take action and take your own life into your own hands. After that happened, though, I will tell you, um, the doctor, the owner of the practice personally called me to apologize about the situation, and they really did try to make up for it. They felt really bad. He had reviewed my file and realized that I wasn't taken seriously earlier on. 
he saw like from my, you know, just from like my history that earlier and even before I started having the pains that I had already gone into a higher, too high of a blood pressure range. (laughs) And so anyway, you know, I do appreciate that they called me and they tried to make it right. And I actually am still with one of the doctors that actually delivered Mackenzie. She had not been through any of this. She just happened to be there the day it was time for me to actually deliver. So she walked in at the perfect time and we've uh, stayed connected since. But and, and here's the thing too. I tell you that whole story. And of course, you know, that's all from my skewed version from 19 years ago. But the deal was, you know, my whole point in telling you this is we've got to got to trust our instinct instincts. When we know something's wrong, we need to fight for it, fight for it and find a doctor that will help you fight for it. So I just want you to, you know, here's just a couple things I want you to consider. Always write down your symptoms when you go to the doctor so you don't forget. Okay. And realize that anything that is off or different for you is a symptom. If you're feeling different in any way at all, note it. So many of our body systems work together. So it's very likely that whatever is bothering you could be related to other things happening. So remember to include things like moodiness, sleep concerns, appetite, headaches, and brain fog. Many of us blow off the importance of those symptoms because we feel like we can explain them away, but maybe it is because there is an underlying issue. So be complete and tell them everything. That's partly, you know, our job to make sure we're being really open and honest. And you know how it's really hard sometimes when you go to the doctor, you you get in there and you forget. And I don't know what it is. It's it's like you walk in and you're like, oh shoot, what was I going to tell them? So write it down, have it in front of you. I do this now all the time. I do it with my kids. Like we like write it out. It's like write your story, write it. Sometimes if you write it in like a story-ish, you know, this happened here, like really put some context to it. They can have a better idea of what they're dealing with. And, and I know I'm not a doctor and do not claim to be a doctor. And this is not really the same thing, but even with like my clients, When I can understand their day and why they're choosing the food they're eating and why they're choosing the exercise they're doing and why they're doing the things, when I understand their story and the reasoning behind things, it helps me come up with a better plan for them as well. So it's really, I mean, it's the same with doctors. They need to know the whole deal. Um, Another thing is if you're feeling ignored or blown off by your doctor, address it head on. Oftentimes they're just not communicating the way they mean to. Some doctors are just sucky at communication and bedside manner. So you have to be point blank and ask for clarification or for what you need. They may just not realize that they weren't clear. When I look back, I see that I was not standing up for myself. Instead, I let the doctors dictate everything and I shouldn't have. I knew deep down that something was wrong and didn't speak up. Now, I bet the doctors see me coming. They're like, oh, great, it's Mullins. <laughs> they're like, oh, God, be prepared. <laughs> She's going to come in with her, her her checklist of items. <laughs> so, oh, well. Anyway, another thing is get a second opinion if you need to. I mean, what the hell? Why didn't I? I should have jumped ship, totally jumped ship from that doctor's office after like the second or third trip of having those episodes. I mean, right? And it's okay to get different opinions and different approaches. If you don't feel like your current doctor is listening, even if it's the best doctor in town or the doctor that all your friends love, then get another doctor to at least compare notes. You can always go back to the first doctor, but just get a second opinion. Find out if there's some other ideas because you know we all have different ideas and so do doctors. 
something else to consider is don't dismiss doctors that are um, considered different, like integrative or functional or even chiropractic doctors. The medical world is very diverse in tactics and it's diverse in beliefs, and many of them do have a place. I know a few chiropractors that are complete geniuses and have saved lives, and one in particular completely has helped me and my husband in so many ways. And they're not quacks, okay? So they have like they have so much knowledge. There's so many people that know so much, and we should take advantage of all the different types of doctors and wellness advocates out there. Okay. So I also, it was my integrative doctor that discovered that I had a thyroid issue first. Okay. After years of being tested and, and no results coming back, she looked at different areas. She also determined my Hashimoto's, and she's also the one that really figured out that I needed a pacemaker. So I had, I mean, I had even been to a cardiologist several times with the same complaints that I gave her and he didn't catch my issue. So all doctors, no matter what their education level, no matter their beliefs, no matter what, they all have a place. And then finally, I think it's really important to have a team of doctors that are really on your side. There are so many doctors out there. It's like you don't have to stick with one. You can move around. You can explore. You can look all around. Okay. So now after all these years, I finally feel like I have a really good wellness team, a team of doctors. And I can say that it was my scary story that helped me to start figuring this out. Now, not only did I have that scary pregnancy problem, but you know, I've also been misdiagnosed for years regarding my thyroid, which I just mentioned, because I was in the range. I was also put, put kind of in a box, so to speak, when it came to my heart rate because the doctors classified me as an athlete with a slow heart rate, so they didn't really take me serious. Thankfully, someone finally listened to my other symptoms and discovered it wasn't just an athlete's heart, right? I mean, I actually had a problem, which still to this day makes me a little sad, but it is what it is. Anyway, just because your labs are in the range doesn't mean you're okay. But it also doesn't mean you're not okay, okay? If you're truly having a bunch of symptoms and no answers, keep digging and keep finding your team of professionals that want to find an answer for you. I hope that you found this helpful and I want you to have a great rest of your week and I'll see you back here next week. Thank you for tuning into the Balanced Fit and Free podcast. I'm over here giving you a virtual high five. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode. And if you are looking for a crew of amazing women who are also seeking a balanced, fit, and free lifestyle, be sure to join my exclusive community on Facebook. The link is waiting for you in the show notes. Until next time, keep your thoughts positive and your coffee hot.